Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. Listen for what God is saying. While Paul waited for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to find that the city was flooded with idols. He began to interact with the Jews and Gentile God worshipers in the synagogue. He also addressed whoever happened to be in the marketplace each day. Certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers engaged him in discussion too. Some said, what an amateur, what's he trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. They said this because he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him into custody and brought him to the council on Mars Hill. What is this new teaching? Can we learn what you are talking about? You've told us some strange things, and we want to know what they mean. They said this because all Athenians, as well as the foreigners who live in Athens, used to spend their time doing nothing but talking about or listening to the newest thing. Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hill and said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, is Lord of heaven and earth. God doesn't live in temples made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands, as though he needed something, since he is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. From one person, God created every human nation to live on the whole earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God made the nations so they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. In fact, God isn't far away from any of us. In God, we live, move, and exist. As some of your own poets said, we are God's offspring. Therefore, as God's offspring, we have no need to imagine that the divine being is like a gold, silver, or stone image made by human skill and thought. God overlooks ignorance of these things in times past, but now directs everyone everywhere to change their hearts and lives. This is because God has set a day when he intends to judge the world justly by a man he has appointed. God has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some began to ridicule Paul. However, others said, we'll hear from you about this again. At that, Paul left the council. Some people joined him and came to believe, including Dionysius, a member of the council on Mars Hill, a woman named Damaris, and several others. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kate Gericke, and I am the student pastor here. I'll move away from the hot mic. 
I, I'm the student pastor here at Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. Um, uh, and I say this most weekends, and I really mean it. It is just a joy to be here with you and to, and to worship and to question and to think through these things with you. Um, so will you please pray with me? God, we give thanks for the gift that it is to come together in this room, to sing songs, to hear stories, to see faces, all things that reflect the goodness of who you are. We ask that you help us today to clear a space away, that whatever might be crowding in around us, around our mind and around our lives, that um, we might set, um, set all that aside for a moment so that we can hear and feel how it is that you are encouraging us today, how you're supporting us today, how you're equipping us, and how you are calling us into the world today. In your name we pray. Amen. There was a stream of pretty odd and uh, kind of hilarious advertisements in the 1990s. International marketers ran into communication issues while they were translating advertisements from English into other languages. So you got advertisements, for example, that, um, like the one in China, where the Kentucky Fried Chicken slogan, instead of reading finger licking good, was translated as eat your fingers off, which was a little less appetizing. Um, when Pepsi advertised in Taiwan, instead of saying what marketers intended to say, which was come alive with the Pepsi generation, the advertisement actually read, Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the dead. <laughs> it was a, a promise they couldn't keep. In Miami, a salesperson sold shirts that they thought said, I saw the Pope, but in Spanish what it actually said was, I saw the potato. <laughs> and my personal favorite, a pen company, Parker Pen, thought that they were advertising a product, product that won't leak in your pocket and embarrass you, but because the word embarrassar is a false cognate in Spanish that doesn't actually mean embarrass, what the advertisement promised their customers was a pen that won't leak in your pocket and make you pregnant. <laughs> I should hope not. <laughs> Today we're celebrating the day of Pentecost, <laughs> during which we remember the story told in Acts chapter 2, where we are gifted the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit enters a room full of people who are speaking many different languages and mirac miraculously allows them to speak to one another and to hear one another in their own language. And these marketing failures are proof that this wasn't like a one-and-done deal. And we know that, uh, that we don't hear everything in our own languages. And even when everyone is communicating in their native language, there are still um, differences in body language and personal language and in cultural language. Anyone who inhabits an identity that's not part of the dominant culture knows too well what it means to translate across cultural languages. And in fact, code switching is one of the best modern ways we have to talk about what happened at Pentecost. The ability to speak to multiple people in different ways depending on what makes the most sense to them. And it seems uh, especially appropriate today to be talking about the work and the care that it takes to understand one another across person, personal, cultural, and religious differences, not only because it's Pentecost, but because we're also in the second week of our evangelism sermon series, and the topic for today is meeting people where they're at. Uh, the sermon series, as uh, you, ha you don't see on the screen, the sermon series is called Beyond Invitation. Uh, and I didn't name this, so I think that I can humbly say I just think this is the most clever title for a sermon series because it seems like it's pointing at at least two things going on. On the one hand, it's poking and it's prodding us towards something that might be a little uncomfortable. Beyond invitation 
reminds us that evangelism might sometimes take us out of our comfort zones. It's beyond what we normally would do and is an urging to do it anyway. But on the other hand, it also hints at some of the risks involved. Beyond invitation reminds us that when we go somewhere where we have not been invited, that we, we do so as visitors, and that we have to be careful about trespassing. There are far too many stories in this country's history and in our religious history when going beyond invitation meant being an owner, not a visitor. It meant colonizing, it meant crusading, and as Pastor Emily said this last week, and it bears repeating, if it's not good news, it's not evangelism. So then the question becomes, how do we travel beyond where we've been invited in a way that's respectful? How has the Holy Spirit of Pentecost already equipped us to listen to one another across religious or cultural or personal differences? And how do we best meet people where they're at? Our scripture passage, as it often does, gives us a good place to start digging into these questions. This passage also comes from the book of Acts, but just a few chapters after the story of Pentecost. And Acts, as just a little background, is like the church planter's how-to book of the Bible, with maybe a few lessons in it about how not to. Jesus, in Matthew, told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, and now they are taking him up on it. They are traveling from town to town, sharing the good news. And where our story picks up today is with Paul the Apostle. And Paul is having kind of a hard time. Uh, when we meet him, he is coming to Athens, but just before that, he's been run out of not one, but two towns, people who asked him to leave and told him to leave, and he grabbed his things and left. But it seems like he's been picking up some skills along the way about how to evangelize, how to visit a space, how to meet people where they're at. Because when Paul arrives in Athens, he makes two stops, at the synagogue and at the marketplace. And these aren't random choices. Paul is in Athens to talk about religion, and so the first thing that he does is go to the place where they're already talking about religion, the synagogue. He sees and hears what's already happening in the space, and he listens and watches carefully to see what's already buzzing. And then after this, he goes to the marketplace, where the passage tells us he starts arguing with people. And now, to our ears, this might sound like it's out of place and a disrespectful move, first move for a visitor, but it's actually an indication that Paul already has some cultural knowledge about Athens before he arrives. In addition to being the center for arts and athletics, um, Athens is the place where the original Olympics were held, it is also the intellectual capital at that time of the world. Something like Oxford, Harvard, and Yale all combined into one place. And the marketplace was the place designed for people to debate ideas. And these were people who loved to debate ideas. And so Paul's right there in it with them, He's debating ideas, and then he catches the attention of some folks. In uh, verse 19 and 20 of our passage today, it says, a few people listening to Paul said, responding to him, said, um, what is this new teaching? Can we learn what you're talking about? You've told us some strange things, and we want to know what they mean. They're interested in what he's saying, and so they invite him a little farther into a public forum. Paul started beyond invitation traveling to Athens. 
And he finds a public place that's appropriate for him to be as a visitor who's bringing a new idea. And now the people who are listening to him give him an invitation to come a little further in. And they ask him to speak at a public forum. And when he's given this invitation, when he's given a microphone and a platform, he knows where to start speaking because he has been paying attention. He says to the Athenians, I see that you are religious people in every way because a little bit of flattery can go a long way. But he also knows that this is true because he's seen their religious artwork in the streets. He's visited their places of worship. He's talked with religious people. And he tells them that he's been doing this. And he says, as I was doing all of these things, I noticed that you have this altar that is dedicated to an unknown God. And I have some great news for you. I might know who this unknown God is. Let me share with you about my God. Before he ever gets to this point, Paul is doing so many things to meet people where they're at. He's showing up in person, which is the first step. You have to be there to meet people. He knows the places that it's appropriate to go beyond invitation, like the marketplace. He's opening his awareness by studying his surroundings, visiting the synagogue, seeing their religious artwork, reading closely the inscriptions on things. He's entering into conversation with appreciation, not ownership or condemnation, and he's looking for points of connection. And in addition to all of these things that he's already doing, Paul does something that is, uh, I think, even more important today than it was then, Um, He leaves space for people to say no. And a lot of people say no, which perhaps is a reminder to us that evangelism is not a call into the tropes of capitalism, that success and failure is not measured by how many new Christians we produce. Paul recognizes the openness and the curiosity of people who have left an altar and left room, have left on an altar room for um, something new in their lives that they might not see already. Space for an unknown God. He sees the connections between himself and his listeners. He doesn't tell them, you're wrong and I'm right, and let me show you why. Instead, he asks, how might our realities fit together? And what can we learn from one another? These are the questions I think we ought to be asking uh, kind of all the time, but especially when we're talking about religion. Not, how can I prove I'm right? How can I prove that you're wrong? Not, how can I convert you to seeing the world the way that I see the world? But asking first, how is it that you see the world? What are your truths? What's your lived reality? And then maybe, here's what mine is. Here's what I believe. And then... How do these two things fit together? And what can we learn from one another? When I was in college and uh, right in the heart of my religious crisis, I would often uh, debate my mom, God bless her, (laughs) about just this issue. I was living in the land of subjectivity and having a hard time making any truth claims about anything. I would often say, if I was born in a different family or a different state or a different country, I wouldn't be who I am and I might not be a Christian. I don't know how I can hold that question while also saying that I believe this is true. And I certainly don't know how I could go out and share the good news with other people. 
And at that point, maybe I shouldn't be going out sharing the good news with people. Maybe that was my time to listen. But my mom would tell me, you know what, Kate? For people who have something that's working for them, I think that's great. And I'm open to having a conversation with anyone, but I'm not looking to convert them. What I'm interested in are the people who are looking for something and who might be helped by the thing that's helped me. And I was skeptical, uh, but I've actually seen this at work this year um, through some of the outreach that we've done at UVC. Um, outreach that, to be honest, I probably would have opted out of if I wasn't the student intern and sometimes the one planning it. Uh, I remember uh, in one of these periods of uncomfortableness that Drew Jones coached me through Ash Wednesday on the street and told me, you have to say it a little bit louder, Kate, so that they can hear that you're inviting them in. Because the thing that I was so nervous about, the thing that I had anticipated was knowing that there would be plenty of people who would say no, who would walk past on the street with their heads down and feeling a little bit self-conscious about imposing on someone who might believe something different than I do or might not be interested in what we were doing. But what I hadn't anticipated was that there would be people happy or interested in seeing us. Even one or two people that we met who were looking for us. Some people who were running up, one person who was running up and down the street on 55th on Ash Wednesday, trying to find the people who gave them ashes last year. The end of the passage this week says that the crowd had two reactions, three reactions, uh, verses 32 and 33. It says, some people began to ridicule Paul. However, others said, we'll hear from you again about this. And at that time, Paul left the council, and some people joined him and came to believe. So some people, most people said, no, thank you, not for me. And some others said, I'm not totally with you yet, but I'm interested in hearing more. And still, some others, the few who joined him, said, where have you been? We've been looking for you. Will you pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks for equipping us through the work of that same Holy Spirit who was working in Pentecost equipping us to have the ability to understand all kinds of cultural and personal languages when we keep our hearts open. Help us to leave this room even just a little bit more encouraged, a little bit more centered, and a little bit more in tune with one another in the world around us. Poke us and prod us as we go out into our weeks, pushing us beyond our comfort zones, opening us, opening us up to being moved by others, and speaking through us, as we share the ways that we have been moved by you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.